0: It's a little bit after the
1: hour. Uh, good morning, everyone. Show's called Your Money, or Wealth. Uh, my name is Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Alan Klopine. He is a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Next couple of hours, talking about your retirement, financial planning, mortgages, taxes, the market, I guess. Larry Swedro's coming out Yeah, today. I
2: can't wait for that. See what he has
1: to say. Um, So a little uh, hodgepodge, potpourri of some stuff. Yeah. So you know what that means? Alan and I are not prepared for the show. It's
2: every show is a potpourri. We
1: got a couple of articles, right? So, you know, we got a crack research team at Pure Financial Advisors uh, that prepare us for the show because Alan and I, we work nine to five, or not nine to five. Alan works oh. like nine to three. <laughs> I work nine to nine thirty. You do it when you teach, and um, so and then Saturdays we're here being the financial planners to you on the air and so it's sometimes getting all of the information that we would like to discuss so we have some
2: people so to don't help us. admit so early on the show that it's going to be terrible
1: i'm am honest <laughs> it's the new fiduciary rule that i'm living by <laughs> honesty I, is the best policy in this um, i suppose but I, I guess here's the point we saw a bunch of different articles and we're like yeah i think yeah let's dive in this you know this is this could be pretty good
2: and then as you dive into them um, most of the advice out there is awful. It's terrible. I got an article from Investment News, how to manage tax sufficient drawdowns in retirement. They had talked to two experts. The first one was right on. The second one, way off the mark. In fact, two out of his three suggestions were completely wrong. So we'll dive into that.
1: Um, then there's uh, a couple of other things. Is and um, you know. Everyone needs a financial advisor, and how do you pick a right financial advisor? I, I, I've said this a million times. Everyone does not need a financial advisor. I think everyone needs a financial plan. I agree, I agree. Right? Everyone absolutely needs a strategy, a financial plan to make sure that they know what they need to be doing. Right. But it, can they do it themselves? Sure. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people, people can if they
2: want to do it themselves. Most, most I would say, probably do it themselves. Could and, they? Could,
1: and, could an advisor add value? Well, I think it depends. I think certain. it depends on what type of advisor that you're working with. Right. right. Yeah, good point. What well, are they looking at? Are they selling your product? Are they looking at your overall situation? Do they have any expertise? You know, because, and I, I, I didn't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway.
2: Really? right So early in the
1: show? So early in the show. Is this, is that... When it came to building pure financial advisors, our firm, Al, yes. is that we looked at all right, well, there's a lot of criticisms in the industry, and I'm one of the bigger criticisms, you know, a, a critic of, of, of the industry that we work in. And, Al, you were a CPA before you got more onto the advice side of things. Correct. And so you had your own preconceived notions of what financial advisors, quote unquote, actually do or do not do. Right, and yep. I think some of the public has those same preconceived notions, because most of the industry or majority, uh, they still just basically are salespeople selling products, right? And w- which is fine—that's their function, as long as the person across the desk or the table understands that that what is their function. It's not they're giving comprehensive financial advice, looking at ways to reduce your fees and costs and the overall investments that you have, or figuring out a way to take the income from the overall portfolio, reduce your taxes, maximize your Social Security, pass the wealth to the next generation, looking at all sorts of different things in a, in a coordinated way, taking a look at all the different disciplines. Because you have estate planning, you have taxes, you have investment management, you have cash flow planning and everything uh, in between. And so once you have all of those intertwined, I think that's when people are most successful financially. The problem with the industry is everything's segmented. Right? You, know, you have a broker that might be selling um, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, variable annuities, fixed annuities, whatever it is. And then you have the CPA that's doing their own thing. And then you have the estate planner, they're doing their own thing. And so what we've tried to do at Peer Financial Advisors is making sure that all of those different professionals communicate on behalf of the client in a true 100% fiduciary manner. All right, so we don't sell any products. There's no commissions generated to our firm. So we figured that was one of the largest criticisms. So we nixed that. Let's be fee only, fee for service. If you want some service, charge a fee, boom. So then credential professionals is another huge one. Right? I, I think what the last study I saw, 4% of all financial advisors are credentialed with a certified financial planner designation.
2: Right. That's, that's what I saw
1: too. And what all that means is that they've really taken pride in their craft, is that they dive a little bit deeper in what they're trying to give to their clients. So they have a broad knowledge of all the different areas of financial planning in regards to how to create income and cash flow, looking at taxes, investments, insurance, um, estate um, planning, and the like. And, you know, it's a, it's a two day uh, test. I think that that's when I took it. It was a 10 hour exam. It took over two days. I think now they, they crammed it um, into one. Uh, but it's a it's a challenging test. Um, you, it's a two year program. You know, you have to have a bachelor's degree now, and so so you know, there's a high level of education sure. for someone that has that credential. Um, And then we looked at taxes. I mean, to to combine the interrelation between CPA and financial advisor and money manager and estate planning, that has to be combined, in my opinion, because everything that you do when it comes to your investments is going to affect your taxes. And everything you do with your taxes potentially could affect your investments. And if your investments aren't properly allocated, you're not going to get the income that you need, or you might be paying too much money in taxes. And then, oh, guess what? At the end of life, it might go to the kids, and it might get blown up in taxes on that aspect, or it might get stuck in probate or it might go to someone else that you didn't want it to go to so all of this right you want to make sure that you check everything off instead of saying well here I'm gonna to go to my CPA and then then I'll go to my advisor then no you want everyone kind of sitting around the same table taking a look at your overall situation for you in one swill you know one
2: clean one fell swoop one whatever movement that I'm trying to <laughs> trying to say here <laughs> whatever okay so well, that was that was good and and you know I, I'll tell you so I have been a CPA for, I don't know. I think I got my certificate in 1984, so that would mean 32 years being a CPA. And I had in my own practice for 17, 18 years. And so I did have a preconceived notion and in, in fact I ended up uh, merging my practice in with another financial planning firm, and I thought I would merge in with a larger firm. I was kind of I kind of want to get out of tax preparation and more into tax planning. And uh, so I, I, I got in with this other financial planning thing. That's where, Joe, that's where you and I met. And, I've, and I found out that most of the industry is just like you described it, which is people are trained how to sell products, and they do a good job at it. And, so, and, and what's confusing to people that are not in the industry that are trying to get their services is it seems like they'll go to somebody who's a salesman, but that salesman will say, hey, I'm a financial planner. I do comprehensive planning. They really don't, but they say they do, and it's very difficult to discern. Sure, because it's a buzzword.
1: Right. But once you dive in and say, okay, well, what does that actually look like? What is the value that I'm getting from this financial plan that you're going to put together for me? Yeah, Someone yeah. is just saying, hey, I think you need to save a couple of extra bucks or, hey, maybe put more money into a 401k plan. Right. And here's you your really allocation. good, and you good the... advice. And, and
2: also, you can ask them how they get paid. That, <clears throat> that's actually probably the single best question. And if they are fee only, they'll talk about, well, I, I, I don't get any commissions. I get paid only from you from either fees for services or maybe a percentage of assets that I manage, that's fee only, Uh, a lot of the rest of them, most of the rest of them it's commission, and then there's always this concern, am I getting the best product for me or not?
1: Right. And so now the DOL, uh, Department um, of Labor, is really trying to hit this fiduciary rule across the industry, and um, we'll we'll stay tuned, uh, because our firm thinks it's a phenomenal thing, uh, because we act as a fiduciary 100% of the time. So there's no changes with us, but if you take a look at some of these big brokerage firms, you look at some of these big insurance companies and everything right. else, they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what it's we're going to, to do. It's going to change everything. It's going to change everything because now we can't sell these products, or we have to disclose the commissions, and we actually have to, you know, have the client sign off and saying, hey, we are getting paid X for this, and every-. It's like, well, we don't want to do that because for years we were able to, you know, position. I, I heard this radio show just the other day. God it drove me nuts. He's talking about a fixed index annuity, equity index annuity. It's one of the most high highly commissionable products out there, but it's sold as like the holy grail of investing. It's like, oh, look at how bad the market is. Well, with my product, you can get stock market returns with no downside risk. I mean, if that was the case as a fiduciary, I would potentially put all of our clients in that thing, right? (laughs) Right. If that is truly the best investment. It's a bunch of BS because it's a fixed annuity. That's what it is. And you can get a higher rate of return than maybe the standard fixed rate, but you have to understand the underworkings of that particular product. No one is that nice. These insurance companies, companies are not seen. You know what? Yes, we will give you stock market returns, but we'll take on all the risk for you. Why would anyone do that? It just—it's not logical. Well, then you don't know, understand the, the mechanics and how it's constructed. Of course, I do. It's a, a zero coupon bond. They're buying call options on the overall S and P. But you got to take a look at how much money's invested in uh, whatever. And then the guy goes, "Well, let's talk about commissions." He's like, "Well, no, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, um, Steve." He goes, "Yeah, zero commissions. Yeah, you don't pay me a dime. If you put a hundred thousand dollars in this product, you don't pay a single commission. The insurance company pays me. It's like well, the, the client pays the commission." it's just embedded in the overall product and yeah alright so if i invest 100,000 bucks sure i'm going to see $100,000 on my statement but let's say tomorrow i need that money because you know uh, my spouse got in a car accident and i need some cash you know to fix the car well, then you're going to you know loose whatever <laughs> you know it's just all smoke and mirrors it, it drives me nuts it, it, it is. anyway I, I went on a tyrant. i'm sorry i apologize uh, if you want more information on our firm you can always look us up at pure financial advisors pure uh, that's the name of the firm the reason for the name is that we want to just give pure advice purefinancial.com all right we're just getting started got a lot to go um, I want to get into some tax planning I want to reiterate some of the things in the in the the bill the the budget that um, president Obama is really fighting for this year because, of course, it's his last term. So there's some things that you want to be aware of and some strategies to make sure that you can take advantage of everything in the lot today. Um, Al's going to get into some of the political rhetoric when it comes to taxes, and we can see what's good and bad there because everything sounds pretty rosy. Oh, you, you know, hey, flat tax—that sounds good. Do you think that's actually going to happen? Uh, so we got a lot to, uh, lot to go. So don't go anywhere. Show's called Your Money Your Wealth.
0: This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB.
1: Welcome back to the program. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate your listenership. Uh, Al and I have been on the air now uh, just about 10 years, uh, talking finances, taxes, investments, retirement planning, and so on and so forth. So uh, thanks so much. Uh, we also have a television program. It's called Your Money, Your Wealth. It's airing on CBS tomorrow morning at uh, 630 if you're in San Diego. Uh, CBS 8.
2: Is that right? That's correct, okay. yeah. And if, if you're in Orange County, we're on cable. I think it's cable channel 31 uh, and, at 10 o'clock, <laughs> uh, actually, right now, right as we speak. And then Los Angeles, uh, just go to our website,
1: purefinancial.com, um, or go to dot com is another place to, um, if you want to get some glimpse of of our television program. Uh, so, Because here's what we've tried to do over the years, um, is really inform and educate you on things that, A, that you should be doing with your money in regards to strategy. It's like, all right, well, how do you save money in taxes? How do you create the income? And so on. Uh, but then I think on the flip side there, too, uh, we we want to protect you against unscrupulous sales practices and things like that. Because we're, we know the industry, we're in the business, and we see good, bad, ugly all day, every day. And so for the average consumer or client, is that, all right, well, they might hear bits and pieces when it comes to um, maybe a radio program. Or if they go to a, a a workshop, or maybe what their neighbors are doing, and things like that, and there might not be experts in the field of finance and how all of this stuff works. So, um, at times we might go on a rant and talk about certain things that um, sound pretty good on the surface, but in reality, um, may not be the best um, route for you. So just do your due diligence. You know, you want to do some background uh, work with the, any advisor that you do work with. Uh, you can go to brokercheck. You know. dot um, com that's on the FINRA website to see if you know, the advisor that you're working with is, um, you know, been filed bankruptcy or you know, they can't take care of their own financial house. You might not necessarily want them taking care of your financial house or if they've been sued before. Uh, so we have a safe survey on our website at purefinancial.com. And there is just a list of questions that you probably want to make sure that you, you, you do some due diligence, I guess, beforehand.
2: Um, so this budget bill. Alan. Right. Yeah, this is Obama's budget bill. It's his last one, his last term, his last year, and he's trying to put through a lot of things uh, to, to sort of, I guess, go back to his eight years ago, kind of some of his campaign promises. And in the tax realm, there's a lot of strategies that he's trying to get rid of. Uh, you know, there's the NUA, which we can get into, we can backdoor Roth, we can get stretch IRA, that could be on the chopping blocks. So um, right now, it's, I, I think it's important, Joe, to realize what some of those strategies are so if they do apply to you, that you make sure you take advantage of them while they're still here.
1: Right. I mean, what, what's the t- we're almost March, right? Um, March 1st is what? On uh, Tuesday. It's on Tuesday, yeah. Right. Okay. So we got a, about a month and a half until the tax filing deadline, Right. which is April 15th. So a couple of things to consider here is that you can still do Roth IRA contributions for 2015 all the way up until April 15th of this year. All right. So most of you might be saying, you know what, Joe, yeah, I would really like to put money into a Roth IRA, but I make too much money. So you have to take a look at the AGI limitations because I teach a retirement planning course all over Southern California, and that's still one of the biggest things when I talk about Roth, Roth IRA, Roth planning, is that still most people think they don't qualify to do it because of their income. Well, here's the income limitations. First of all, you have to make, you know, a, a pretty good, handsome living uh, for you not to qualify. And I know there's a lot of you out there that make a, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, but still, I think sometimes people think, well, hey, I make a hundred thousand, I don't qualify. No, here's the limits when it comes to AGI. So that's adjusted gross income. It's the bottom page of your 1040. Take a look at that. All right. So if it's below, if you're married, below $193,000, so the phase out's 183 to 193. So if you make less than $183,000 of adjusted gross income, bottom page of your 1040, tax form 1040, that you qualify for a a Roth IRA contribution, I would highly encourage you if you do have $5,500 or $6,500 if you're over 50 to make sure that you contribute into the Roth IRA before April 15th for a 2015 contribution. The reason why you would want to do that is now that 5,500 or 6,500 will forever grow tax-free. So if you have money in a brokerage account, would you rather, where those assets are going to be taxed at a capital gains rate, rather put it into a Roth IRA, where then all of those dollars grow 100% tax-free? Right. So it's just looking at where you're positioning your assets. Sometimes you might have to take a couple of extra steps here instead of saying, yeah, I got money in my 401k and I'm good. Or, hey, I'm contributing to my 401k, Alan. I can't contribute to an IRA. How many times have you heard that? Yeah, we hear that all the time, and those are
2: not related. The the truth is you can contribute to a Roth IRA or even regular IRA. There's rules on when you can and can't do it. Joe, I wanted to just illustrate an example of... uh, of a couple that I saw earlier this week and they they didn't really know much about Roth IRAs they had a bunch of money in 401ks and so forth and their income was below those limits let's just say their income was around hundred twenty five thousand adjusted gross income so clearly they're below hundred ninety three thousand actually 183 thousand is where the phase-out starts so they can do full Roth IRA contributions they were both over fifty the 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 wife was working the husband was retired okay so all right so this the, the wife so she could do a $6500 Roth IRA contribution for 2015. And guess what the non-working spouse, the husband who is retired she can al- he can also use the wife's income. That's, it's called a spousal contribution. so the spouse, the husband couldn't put in $6500 that's13,000 for 2015. Now we're in 2016. Same day, they can put another 6500 in for 2016, each of them. So just like that, they can end up with $26,000 between the two of them in Roth IRAs, which is money that'll be forever growing tax-free. Now, of course, you have to have the money to do it, and they did. They, just, they didn't know that this was available to them.
1: Right. So then piggybacking off that, let's say if you make more than the $193,000. What is available now is called the backdoor Roth contribution. So you make more than $193,000. You put those same limits that Al just talked about, fifty-five dollars or $6,500, into a standard IRA. Right? So you need earned income, though. So this doesn't apply for those of you that are retired or do not have earned income. Earned income is wages or self-employment, Schedule C income. If you have income that's over the 193 boom, OK. right. So you can put in the IRA contribution. Then, because you make more than the 193, you can't take a deduction here. So what you have now is an after-tax contribution in that IRA plan. Then you can convert that into a Roth. Because you didn't get the deduction going into the IRA, there's not going to be any tax when you convert it. So it's an after-tax contribution to an IRA. You take that IRA and you convert that directly to a Roth IRA. You could do that for 2015 and 2016. So that same $26,000, if you're married, put those into IRAs and then automatically convert them. It's another way to get money into a Roth IRA as a direct contribution, but it's just a backdoor contribution to basically, you know, get you to where you need to be from a tax perspective.
2: Yeah, and and just a couple caveats. So, you, And we can get into that yeah, after the break, yeah, I too, There's, I was just going to say if you have other IRAs, this may not work and you can't be over 70 and a half, but otherwise this works great. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money Your Wealth we will be back in just a second.
0: Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760,
1: AFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson, I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Big Al Quilpine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, what I want to
2: get into, Al, is that... Did you watch the the, the debate Thursday? Uh, no, I saw some of the highlights there. I saw, I, saw um, I think the next morning, I saw, I guess, the top uh, one-liners by Trump. So that's all I saw. <laughs> that's interesting. It's a, it's a, it was a circus.
1: Um, one of the things, you know, when we get... Um, is that these candidates have a tax plan. They do. We can start with the the, the GOP, um, because their tax plan always sounds a a little bit better than the Democrat um, tax plan.
2: Yeah, especially if you're in higher tax brackets. Yeah, Yeah, right. Right, right.
1: And so- and Most of our listeners, um, I would say, are probably in higher tax brackets than lower tax brackets. But sure. that, I'm, not, I'm not classifying them as Democrat or Republican. Sure, right. I'm just saying the amount of money that they pay in tax might be a little bit higher if they're listening to a financial planning show.
2: Yeah, and Joe, it's interesting. Donald Trump, for example, uh, he would like to change our tax system with four different brackets starting at zero and going up to 25%. Right now we start at 10% and we go to 396 So in other words, tax rates are lower. And then capital gains, it's like, well, uh, what, let's see, what he wants to do with capital gains is, is pretty much keep them the same. And as far as itemized deductions, so how do you pay for some of this? Less itemized deductions. He still wants us to have our, our mortgage deduction and our charity, but that's it. So we, like here in California, we wouldn't be able to write off our state tax. Correct. State ta- we have high state taxes. We have high property taxes. So what would that That'd add
1: to the bottom line from a tax perspective to us? Like a percentage, you know, so let's say the 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 highest rate would be twenty five percent, but if I can't deduct my state tax, yeah, which well. is ten percent in California almost. Right.
2: Yeah. So yeah. So it, it, you're still going to end up in a lot better situation if if you're wealthy or you're reasonably wealthy. You'll just you'll end up just paying lower taxes. The problem with that, of course, I mean I don't have to tell you guys is we're not uh, actually currently balancing our budget. In fact, every single year we're spending more than we're bringing in from tax dollars, and so our long-term uh, deficit it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And so. Now you can argue supply side economics and I'm not going to get into all that right now. I'm just talking dollars and cents at the moment. Now I it is kind of interesting when you get into Ted Cruz's plan. He wants to do a flat tax. That's completely different. He wants to do a 10% flat tax across the board. Uh married couple gets a $20,000 exemption. Single person gets a $10,000 exemption. I should say standard deduction. And um, and then four thousand dollar exemption per person, so a family of four wouldn't pay a dime of tax until they hit thirty six thousand dollars. So the first thirty six thousand would be tax free. Everything above that would be taxed at ten percent. So it sounds like a, a you know a pretty good plan, but I ran some numbers, Joe, and a family of four making a hundred thousand dollars, their taxes would be roughly the same. However a family of four that makes a million dollars, their taxes would go roughly from three hundred thousand dollars to one hundred thousand dollars in rough numbers. They'd save a couple hundred thousand dollars, which again sounds great. Uh are we in surplus situations in the government? No. So how is this going to work? Well, his proposal is to do a value added tax on corporations of 18%. So in other words, corporations would take their gross income and they get to deduct a few production costs if they're a manufacturer, and they get this net number, which is not their profits. It's a much higher figure than profits. And then they got to pay 18% of that to the to the government, and so if you just think about this logically, what does that mean? That means corporate taxes will be much higher, and that will be passed on to you and me and all of our listeners in terms of goods and services, and who is that going to impact? It's going to impact the lower uh, class and the middle class, and the wealthy will end up with a lot more money in their pocket, and it's, it's, to me... And I'm not going to say I'm Republican or Democrat. If you listen to the show a while, you can probably figure it out. But to me, it's just it's not necessarily a very fair system. And it's why it seems to me every single presidential pre- presidential election that comes up and it never seems to go anywhere because to me, it's it's a bit of a flawed system. I mean, does he understand arithmetic? I mean, I don't. I, they're trying to get elected. Right? They're yeah. trying to get elected. That's the problem. Yeah. So. And so they, they they have all kinds of wild things. Now, on the other side, quickly, Hillary wants to raise our highest bracket from 39.6 to 43.6. And Bernie Sanders would like our highest rate to be 52%. So now we're going the other extreme. So stay tuned. We'll see. Well, right now, the highest rate
1: still is with... Phase well 39.6, but then you had here in state of California what, what Phil Mickelson wanted to leave because he was paying what 52, 53 percent, yeah. He Phil 55
2: Mi- yeah. Phil Mickelson was saying a 60 percent tax. Which, if you're counting your maximum federal, let's call it 40 percent, and, and maximum state, that's 13 percent. So now you're 53. And if it's self employment earnings, you know, could be another 15 percent, he would blow past the limit for. Pretty quickly, right? So it would basically add another three percent, and then another, call it four percent for the Medicare surtax, you know. And then when you make more income, you have your more, you're phased out on itemized deductions, so it could approach sixty percent. So
1: let me ask you a question. So for, let's say I'm self-employed. Yeah. So when um, self-employed individuals, they have to pay both sides of the FICA tax. Correct. So they have to pay the employee and the employer side. So uh, Social Security, um, just, just round it, call it seven percent. Okay. okay. Um, and then so seven percent for the employee, seven percent for the employer. Right. And then that for the employee goes up to about one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Correct. All right. So if I'm self-employed and the business brings in a hundred uh, or let's say a million, so I pay for the employee up to that one hundred twenty thousand. Do I have to continue to pay that employer side or only to the one hundred twenty on both no, sides? No, just
2: to the one hundred twenty. But the but the employer has to continue to yeah, pay the, the Medicare employer. side right the medicare side is it's call it 3% for both both so it's a percent and a half i mean we're rounding but that's 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 roughly the numbers but i want to tell you something joe and i think a lot of people don't realize this if you are married to somebody who's making a lot of money well good for you but if now if you I need t- to find that yeah now. you do need to work on that but if you then turn around so maybe your husband or your wife, it doesn't matter who, is, has a professional job making a bunch of money, and you're trying to figure out what to do, and you decide, I'm going to start a self-employment business because I want to make some money, I want to have some of my own spending money, I want to do this and that. Let me tell you the taxes that you'll pay if you're already in the highest bracket because of your spouse. So if you make, let's, let's call it uh, $20,000, for example, profits from your business. Well, between federal and state, you're already at a 50% tax, okay? So you already lost 10,000 of what you made, okay? Now self-employment tax is is another 15%, right? So you've already lost another $3,000. So now before other phase outs and things like that, you've only net seven thousand dollars from your twenty thousand dollars of profit. And I guess what I'm saying is, when you are married to a spouse that's making a lot of income, your self-employment income is pretty highly taxed because you're already in the highest bracket and you got self-employment tax to boot. So unless they're not very good at their small business, Al. Yeah, and then they then they can then lose if you create money. losses, yes. Whether it's real or fictitious, <laughs> now you can save taxes,
1: right? So, so yeah, my spouse is not very good at the business. Somehow, that's why we have all these huge losses.
2: Yeah, that's right, and that uh, people don't realize that either. Which uh, and that's actually pretty common in the first year or two of a of a business.
1: All right, we gotta take a break. Don't go anywhere. The show's called Your Money or Wealth.
0: This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio Seven Sixty KFMB.
1: Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Go to our website, uh, purefinancial.com. Go to the Learning Center. Uh, We got hundreds of videos on that Learning Center. We keep adding more. Uh, So if you have a question, um, do so at the Learning Center. I also did a webinar on Social Security strategies. Yes, you did. That was last week. I believe it was Tuesday. 400 people, I believe, attended the webinar. Um, it was mostly for our clients. I think we talked about it maybe for a couple of seconds here. Sure. But yeah. that's also, if, if you want um it's an hour long, so if you want, because there's claiming strategies that you want, or there, there's definitely changes in the law that will come into effect here. April 28th is actually the true date, April 28th. Um, it was the 30th, but I think the IRS just came out, or IRS yes. or Social Security Administration came out with a letter I'm um, saying it will be the 28th versus the it's, 30th. It's actually the 29th. Oh, is it the 29th? 20,
2: it's, it's, well, it was the 30th, and it's now, the now it's the 29th. Yeah, and so uh, if if you haven't paid attention, what was it, uh, October, maybe, November? The um, the budget was passed uh, by House and Senate and President, and they kind of snuck one in on us, which is some changes on the new file and suspend guidelines and uh, so what, basically what they said is if you're already doing it, no problem. And then they gave certain age limitations where you could kin- continue to do the strategies, but if you're younger than that, you can't do this anymore. And I guess in a nutshell, the strategy was this, that uh, one spouse that got to full retirement age, which right now is age 66, could file for benefits and suspend, means that they don't actually receive their benefits and they wait then you go well why would you do that well this is why that because then your spouse can file i think you call it a restrictive application is yes, that sir. accurate joe yeah and then can well rece- it
1: allows minor children to claim benefits sure, be and another. things like
2: that the point is though the, the other spouse can claim uh, uh, benefits for half of in other words can can start receiving income for half of your benefits once they get to full retirement age and they can actually receive it earlier and it, it gets so complicated I won't even worry about it right now but anyway they could receive half of your benefits starting at age 66 and their benefits would continue to grow till age 70 so it's kind of like you get this free money from age 66 to 70 you could still both husband and wife let your benefits grow until age 70 and then you can receive those full benefits. And what they said it was that, all right, so uh, you have until now April 29th, the older the spouses, uh, if they want to do this strategy, has to file and suspend. By yeah, you April- got to be
1: full retirement age before April 29th and do the file and suspend strategy before that date. So That's if right. you are full to, retirement yeah. age and have not filed for your benefit, um, I would highly
2: encourage you to talk to the Social Security Administration. Yes, absolutely. And then the younger spouse has to be, has 62. To be has age 62 by December 31st of 2015.
1: So we break all this down in an uh, in hour-long webinar Uh, That is now that you can get on demand. Uh, So go to purefinancial.com, go to the Learning Center, um, and you can find it there, purefinancial.com. Alan, who do you think are better savers, women or men? Uh, Women, I would say. Turns out that women uh, rule the roost when it comes to saving for retirement. So Vanguard. So they show that women are the ones signing up for 401k plans and saving a larger piece of their salaries uh, compared with their male
2: uh, counterparts. Yes, I do know the opposite, though, is true. When they get to retirement, men have more money than women. And there's a couple reasons for that. Wow. Well, I I think that trend will
1: be changing. I think that is today. (laughs) I would say in 20 years, that's going to probably be
2: the opposite. Well, let me tell you what's going on today. So the the two reasons why that's because true, you
1: have to go back twenty years and probably women didn't have well,
2: nearly as high as income as men. Well, women that, didn't work, that, and actually, then men did all the savings. That's actually one of the reasons. And, and still today, women make around I think I just looked at this around seventy nine percent of what men make. So men might be saving a lesser percentage, but it turns out to be a higher dollar amount. But the other thing, Joe, is this: women tend to be more conservative; they're better investors in their investing, and men tend to be more aggressive. And if a, if a male can be more aggressive and let it run they do better than a super conservative investment the problem with men is they get in and out of the market yeah but women uh, rates of return are better than men's i don't well i don't think so get, at least in an article that i read well that article was bs <laughs> The, the art, what the article said was that men are more willing to take risks.
1: Yes, but then they get in and out, in and out, in and out. Oh, oh that sucked. Let's buy another one. Let's get another one. Let's r- double down on this. Right? It's the tortoise and the hare. Yes. Let me go back to a little nursery rhyme for you.
2: <laughs> I'm still thinking about the men getting in and out, in and out.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Clopine. <A> <laughs> well, you said uh, it. The, the stock market. Oh. And it's, they're gr- aggressive when it. Oh, my uh, so Vanguard looked at 720,000 workers um, who were eligible to sign up for their <laughs> 401k plan. Uh, the study found out that women are 14% more likely to voluntarily take advantage of the pre-tax retirement savings accounts. Women also are saving anywhere from 7% to 16% more than men, depending on income level. So you got to read the right articles. The average account balance across all income levels for women was $80,000 versus 123000 for men. That imbalance is somewhat skewed, however, by large differences of the higher income range. Yes. So that kind of piggies back on what that you was, said. That,
2: so you're agreeing with the first comment, not the second one. Yes.
1: However, men in the study earn more. For instance, 45% of the women had an annual salary less than $50,000 compared to 28% of the men. Additionally, although women generally get a bad rap for being more risk-adverse than men, the study shows that both genders allocate a similar amount of their retirement money to stocks, men 74%, women 73%.
2: Really? No, that is different than what I read. Okay. Men and
1: women are investing more similar than differently, said uh, Young from Vanguard, who pointed out that both also have similar portfolio assets in index funds, men 64, women 62 Okay. So like in, it. In right. looking at annualized five-year investment return, the study found that men edged out women 10.1% to 9.7%, respectively. The study points out, however, that at the high end of the wrist exposure, uh, men in the study were more likely to have a greater stock exposure. Sure. But that's five years, Al. Yes. I want to go
2: out the next 20 years.
1: Right. Okay?
2: You think it's going to flip? I think so. Okay. All right, I got you down for that. Right? Yeah.
1: All right, so people in their 40s, they will be in their 60s in 20 years. Yes. And so people in their 40s now are, if they're married, I would say both spouses are working. Yes, and very And I would common. say the income of those spouses is not hugely different.
2: Yeah, in many cases.
1: Is what I see from my practice, and I'm in my 40s. Right. Right. My friends and my you know, colleagues and everything else.
2: Yes, okay. I'll buy
1: that. Yeah. Okay. It's Women's Entrepreneurial Day, November uh, 24th,
2: by the way. Which, an, is it this year or is that an old article? Just, just in case you wanted <laughs> to know that Probably one. 2012.
1: No, this article was written um, by Sarah O'Brien. When? Uh, Thursday, the 25th of February,
2: 2016. Oh, so you're right up to date. <laughs> what What's the date today? Twenty seven. Right.
1: See, I'm hot out the presses, <laughs> Al. People they send me hot articles. Your article was back in the sixties.
2: Yeah, well, that's what I understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you're male, female, tall or short, skinny or fat, doesn't matter. You need to save some money. You know what I mean?
2: Really? You you call out the fat people? <laughs> well,
1: under tall. Under tall. Under tall. Okay. Yes. Gotta take another break. Show us code your money or wealth. We'll be back in just a second.